would turn to Romans chapter 4, and we will be reading also from Matthew chapter 8, but Romans chapter 4, verse number 17. It reads, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, speaking of Abraham, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully, everybody say fully. He was fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 2. We're going to read a couple verses and jump around. Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 2. Not the whole verse. It just says that, And behold, there came a leper. And verse number 5 says that when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion. And verse number 14 says that when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid. For the next few moments, I would like to speak on the paradox. The paradox. If you would set your Bibles down and help me pray. God, we believe that you're going to do something great in the house tonight, Jesus. We have worshipped you, and we have praised you, God. We have lifted you up, God, and we're going to hear from your word tonight, God. I pray that your anointing would be upon this place, that your spirit, God, that your glory, God, would be in us. God, help me to preach it, God, like you've given it to me. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, everybody say amen. You may be seated. The paradox. What is a paradox? A paradox can be defined in a couple different ways. One, it can be defined as a seemingly absurd statement or proposition that when it is investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. It can be described also as a statement or proposition that despite sound or apparently sound reasoning, from acceptable premises, things that everybody would agree on, that we could all say that makes sense. It leads to a conclusion that seems senseless or logically unacceptable, even self-contradictory. And the paradox is found in our literature and in our vernacular. In William Shakespeare's Hamlet, the title character Hamlet states that I must be cruel to be kind. How could anybody be cruel and kind at the same time? And his point is that he plans to slay a character that has murdered his father and is now the love interest of his mother. And the, the mother does not know this. And so Hamlet's plea that I must be cruel to be kind is that he will slay this character and it will be cruel to his mother. But in so doing, it will be kind. It will be keeping her from this. It's a paradox. My personal favorite 
that is said by my mother is in explanation to my father when she spends money at a store. And they have such big, somebody say careful, they have such big sales, right? When she comes home with all 52 bags, she tells my dad, they had such good sales, honey, that we really, I know it's crazy, but we actually saved money. <laughs> oh, you laugh because you've heard it before. Amen. Oh, amen to the brother on the front row. That's right. If we were really to save money, we wouldn't spend any at all, right? But this is the point. It's a paradox. The Bible is full of passages that contain paradoxes. The text that we read from tonight is a great example. Verse 17 says that God quickeneth the dead. And quickeneth means to bring to life or to make alive. So it is a paradox that something that is dead would have any life. It contains no life. And that is the definition that it holds. So how could life all of a sudden be given to a body or be given to a body of a, a human or an animal that is dead? I will tell you how I believe it would have been the same as when God put Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones. It was something that if this was really going to take place, something had to change in the atmosphere. Because when Ezekiel was in the valley of dry bones, he would look around and, and all that was left was devastation. The great army that once was, was no more. There were no more veterans to tell their firsthand accounts. There were no more warriors to preach about the great stories of combat. And God places Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones and he says, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, a very clever response tells God, oh Lord God, thou knowest. And he began to prophesy to the bones and he began to prophesy to the sinews and to the flesh. And he spoke with inspiration to the wind and a noise began to sound in Ezekiel's ear as a rattle began to happen over there and a rattle began to happen over there and bone came to bone and sinew to sinew and flesh covered up those bones. God is asking somebody tonight, I know it might seem improbable, it might seem logically unacceptable but God is speaking to your dreams tonight and he is saying can these bones live oh can these bones live do you have enough faith to say oh Lord God thou knowest I don't know the extent of what you want to do but whatever you want me to do just say it and I will obey oh hallelujah hallelujah oh can these bones live Hallelujah, Jesus. You may be seated. Ezekiel didn't know the full extent of God's plans with the bones. But he said, just tell me what you want me to do and I will obey. You may not know the full extent of what God is wanting to do. It may seem silly. It may seem foolish to speak to something dead in your life. But somebody needs faith to arise in their spirit. You need to recognize that there is no word that comes out of the mouth of your God that returns unto him void. So when he tells me to speak to dead bones, it's time to speak to dead bones. I'm talking about a paradox tonight. In that same verse, in, in verse 17, it says that God calleth those things which be not as though they were. He's calling the things that are not 
to be. Simple example is if God called the chair that you're sitting on a pew. Well, it's not a pew until God calls it a pew. Because when God calls something to be that which it is not, it has to transform. It has to change into what God has called it to be. You might feel broken and and your situation might seem hopeless, but God calls it put back together. And if he says that you need to be hopeful, then the situation has to change to what the master says. The situation has to change to what the creator calls it to be and orders it to be. Oh, somebody hear me tonight. Oh, there's some things that God is calling to be. Oh, it didn't look like it would ever be like that. But God is calling it to be. Oh, hallelujah. Verse 18, Paul writes about Abraham saying, who against hope believed in hope. What a crazy phrase, against hope believed in hope. Abraham was 100 years old. Verse 19 says that. But the verse said, he considered not this fact, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. It was against hope that Abraham believed in hope. A paradox appears senseless. Logically incorrect. It doesn't make sense. And Abraham's situation certainly looked this way, but he rejected what his situation would have told him. He was against hope. He believed in hope, who against all odds and against what the sensible would tell him and against what the doctors would have said, Abraham still believed in God's word. The sensible would tell us that time has passed you over, Abraham, and that you will never be considered the father of many nations. Your faithfulness has resulted in nothing, and this invisible God that you serve has left you all alone with some unfulfilled promise in your hand. You will go to the grave, Abraham, with this dead promise. And if we were to transpose that onto our situation, if we would think about things just logically, we would sit back and say the same about us, that I'm too old, that I'm too messed up, that my current environment is too broken, and and all these things. And I pull out the laundry list of why God couldn't work in my situation. But it's time that somebody who against hope would believe in hope. It might seem paradoxical. It might seem that it'll never work out. But God is in the building. Oh, hallelujah. The Savior, the Redeemer, the Healer. Oh, hallelujah. Everything that you need. Oh, he is here. He is here. We could say my faith is not where it needs to be. My faithfulness is not where it needs to be. There's no good in me. And if you said that last part, there is no good in you, you would be right. Because there is none good but one, and that is God. Oh, if you need a touch in your life, if you need a healing, if you need blessing, God's not considered, or he's not considering what the past looked like. It's, he's not going to let it dictate your future. It may seem like a paradox, but we serve a God that can do all things. Colossians 1, 16 through 19 says, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, 
All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. That's why it's important that we believe in one God. We don't go to the Son for healing, and we don't go to the Father for a breakthrough. All these three are one. In Him should all the fullness dwell. In Him should all the fullness dwell. Everything that you need, it is in Him. Oh, we don't serve a God that shares His glory with any other. All things were created by Him and for Him. If there isn't a single sparrow that falls to the ground without his knowledge, then he knows everything about you. And he has all power in his hands. Oh, we serve a great God. He is omnipotent, being all-powerful, omnipresent, being everywhere at once. He is omniscient, being all-knowing. He is not unaware of where you stand when you come to the altar. He knows where you sit in church. If he manifested himself tonight, he could drive you home. He knows the way you take back so well. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows about your backslidden family members. And he knows about the rattles in the car. He knows what you enjoy doing on your day off. And he knows the very depths of your soul. He is not just some distant being that checks in every once in a while and separates himself from your problems or your moments of celebration. But he is with you in the good times. He is with you in the bad times. He's here from January to December. He was with us in 2020 he'll be with us in 2021 oh he is everything that you need he has never left you nor forsake you you can make your bed in hell and he'll be there you can find yourself in heaven oh and he'll find you there hallelujah jesus oh god knows your needs he knows what you're going through trying to encourage somebody tonight Talking about a paradox. Paradoxes weren't just used by writers in the Bible. It wasn't just Paul that wrote in Romans, but Jesus himself spoke through paradoxes. He often hid the meanings of his teachings in parables. And sometimes in these parables, he would speak using a paradox. In his Sermon on the Mount, taking it from Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus would sometimes give statements that would seem absurd. They would seem kind of weird, kind of make you scratch your head and, and wonder what's going on, what is he talking about. He would say things like in Matthew 5 and 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How could you be blessed and be poor in spirit? Luke says, blessed be ye poor. How can you be poor and still be blessed? And teachers of the day, contrary to what Jesus is teaching, are exclaiming that to be blessed and, and to have happiness, you're going to need riches and you're going to need status. But Jesus said, I'm reaching for another group of people. They're not interested solely in riches or fame, but they desire something greater. Church, the world has not changed. They are still convinced that blessings and happiness come through status and, 
and, and it comes through schooling, and I've gone through schooling. I believe in education, but I'm telling you, it's not everything just to have a master's and, and three different PhDs and, and all this sort of stuff. That doesn't bring happiness. They think that if you've got enough money in the bank that you'll be happy, that if you receive enough accolades and awards throughout your life, you will be somebody happy, and it's all about being somebody in life. So that you can be great and people can roar your name. But then even after you're gone, they will remember you. And, and maybe they'll build a statue or maybe they'll plaster your name on the side of the school that you used to teach. Or all these things that are just so focused on trying to fill the void that only Jesus can. Oh, but just like the world hasn't changed their stance, neither has Jesus. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I'm telling you that we still have the very best thing that's going on. We still can come into the house of God and be touched by God Almighty. We can still be filled with the Holy Ghost. Our sins are still forgiven. I still have needs that are taken care of. I still have healings that have happened. I still have blessings in my life. Oh, because of God. Oh, it wasn't because of a school. It wasn't because of a degree, but it was because of Jesus. It was because of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus wouldn't just speak in paradoxes. He would perform them. They were labeled with a different word. They were called miracles. A miracle is a highly improbable and extraordinary event, development, or accomplishment that brings very welcome consequences Jesus had just spoken about how those that are poor in spirit are really not that poor. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And word must have spread fast because as Jesus is walking down the mount, he encounters a leper. And lepers are notable for several reasons in the Bible. First, leprosy was viewed as a disease that would come upon somebody if they were a sinner. It was an outward show of God's disapproval of the way that that individual was living their life. The second thing is that lepers were shunned in society. Some sources, one source, I don't know how credible this is, says that in Jewish laws and customs, you would even have to stay six feet away from lepers. You'd have to socially distance. There we go. Socially distance from lepers. If the disease was not enough to make you appear as a sinner, if being shunned wasn't enough, it was a death sentence. It was unhealable. In 2 Kings 5, there was a Syrian commander by the name of Naaman. He was afflicted with leprosy, and he comes to King Jehoram of Israel. And this, this man, the Syrian commander, tells him, I've heard that there is a prophet, and he is connected with God, and, and miraculous things can happen. And Jehoram says, am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man sends me a man to heal me of his leprosy. Leprosy was viewed as a slow and excruciating death sentence that no one could stop. To heal leprosy in Naaman's words or in Jehoram's words was equated with raising somebody from the dead. He was to be in the spot of God. This is how serious the condition of leprosy was. And this leper, we don't have any idea of how far 
this disease had progressed in this leper's body. But despite his or her brokenness, despite the shunning of friends and family, despite the death sentence and knowing that nothing else had worked, he came to Jesus and he found himself in the presence of Jesus. And he says, Lord. And Lord is an important thing to note because it translates to Yahweh. This is the God of the Old Testament. And here is this leper. And he finds himself at the feet of Jesus. And he says, I know who you are. You are Lord. You are Yahweh. You are the one that parted the Red Sea. You are the one that has healed so many others. I know who I am standing in front of. Knowing that maybe nothing else had worked. That it was illogical or highly improbable that this leper would be healed that day. But he still comes to Jesus and he says, Lord. And this leper calls out and he says, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. If it is in your will, the leper is saying with great faith, I believe that you can. How can you hope, leper? How can you hope, Abraham, who against hope believed in hope? How do you do it? How can you believe against all the things that are stacked against you? And the leper would stand and say today, you must not know whose presence I was in. I was in the presence of God Almighty. I was in, in the presence of God manifested as Jesus. I was in the presence of the great physician. Come on, somebody. I was in the presence of the one that could supply every single need. I was in the presence of Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi. I was in the presence of the one, all that I needed to be in. Oh, hallelujah. Why don't you lift up your hands and call on the name of the Lord? Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, we need you, Jesus. We need you in this place, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Jesus breaks the ceremonial law, and he touches the leper. Something happened. Something changed in the atmosphere. And Jesus touches the leper, and immediately he is healed. But Jesus is not finished. He makes his way to Capernaum, and, and it says that when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, that there came a centurion beseeching Jesus for somebody else. Jesus had met an intercessor. Thank God for the intercessors. And the centurion says, Lord. And there it is again, a recognition of whose hand his hopeless situation was in. And we know the story. He says, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. But the centurion says, I'm not worthy but just speak the word. Just speak the word, Jesus. Speak the word and, and my servant shall be healed. One commentary says that he seeks a cure but does not prescribe to the Lord how or where he shall work it. If we really want a miracle, we've got to recognize whose hand our situation is in. But when we get into the presence of God, it is not up to us to try and put God into a box and say that you can work in this part of my life and, and you can work in this part of my life, but everything else is off limits. Oh, that centurion said, oh, just speak the word only. Speak it all over my life and, and speak it all over this servant's life and speak it all over my house and speak it all over my community. Just speak the word only. God, everything is free rain. You can move how you want to move, but I just need a miracle. I just need you to move, God. I just need you to speak however you want to do it, 
however you see fit. Oh, I need you, Jesus. However you want to do it, God is pleasing to me. Oh, hallelujah. One song said, he is either God of all or God of nothing at all. Verse 13 says that Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And Jesus continues, continues to make his way into Capernaum. And he makes his way into Peter's house. And just like the leper and just like the centurion, when Jesus got there, I believe that Peter's mother-in-law had a full understanding of whose presence she was in. She had somebody to tell her who Jesus was. She had somebody to tell her who the Lord was. And I believe that she had enough faith that Jesus would do it. And Jesus comes by and he touches her hand and her fever goes away. The point of the paradox is that you don't see it coming. You don't hear it coming. It's unexpected the way that it turns out. At the beginning, it seems to be going one way, and then something happens. There's a catalyst. Something changes it and changes the direction, and it begins to go a different way. If you look at a paradox, it's not always like this in literature, but it's, I would say it's pretty true in the Bible that when you look at the first part of the sentence, it may not always make sense. But the answer to the question or the answer to the sentence always makes sense. How was a leper healed? Jesus. How was a man healed of palsy with no one even touching him? It wasn't some magic. It wasn't some parlor trick that he, he tried to, to, to make happen, but it was Jesus. How was Peter's mother-in-law healed of her fever? It was Jesus. That is the answer, Jesus. He always has, and he always will be the answer. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has always been your answer. He is your answer, and he will forever be your answer. If you need something in the house tonight, that is where the answer will come from. It will come from Jesus. Oh, if you need healing, that's where it's going to come from. It's going to come when the name of Jesus is applied to you. If you need something in your life, that's where it's going to come from. Oh, it's Jesus. We've talked about the story of the leper. We've talked about the person with paralysis. And kind of weird to come to a close about a woman with a fever. Kind of seems anticlimactic. Right? Jesus doesn't really end, though, his work of miracles with Peter's mother-in-law. Verse 16 and 17 says that he heals many that were possessed and sick. But why does Matthew write it in this way? If I could have the musicians come. Why does Matthew talk about it this way? In English, we learned, and I'm probably getting it wrong, but this is how I learned it. It may have been the wrong way. But... In an introduction, you're going to want to, you're going to talk broad in the introduction and then, then kind of narrow it down. So why didn't Matthew talk about it like this? Why did he not talk about the many that were possessed and the many that were sick and then narrow down and, and talk about the people? Why did he not talk about Peter's mother-in-law first? She was healed with a fever. And then... 
gradually go up and, and then talk about somebody with paralysis and then talk about somebody with leprosy and then talk about the many that were possessed and were sick. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us and it can be a sort of a paradox. Why God would direct Matthew to arrange it in such a fashion. But the point is that God doesn't always do things in the order that we think he has to do them. If we were writing the story, human nature, we would end with the best saved for last. But Jesus isn't interested in wooing an audience. He's not interested in writing the best-selling book of all time. But Jesus is interested in doing it the exact way that he wants to do it. If it happens, it will be according to his will. It will be the way that he wants to do it. And this is the paradox. That when we encounter situations, we can drum up all sorts of possibilities of how God is going to work. And there's all these doors that are open, and, and no matter what the situation is, it's a lost loved one, or it's somebody that you're trying to bring from work or from school, or maybe it's a healing that needs to happen, or, or maybe whatever the situation is, and, and we drum it all up, and we think, God, this is how you're going to work, and, and this is how you're going to do everything, and, and you're really going to work through this way, God. And, and we get up, and our timeline slowly is closing, and the door closes. Say, okay, God, it's not how you're going to work, but there's a couple other doors that are open over here, and, and I think that you can work through this way. And I believe that you're going to do something in this way, and, and, and I'm praying for it. God, I'm fasting for it. I'm doing everything that I know how to do, and, and God, I really believe that you're going to work this way. And, and time passes on, and the door closes, and it's because God is not bound by doors. He's not bound by walls. He's not bound by the things that seem so infinite to us. And they, they seem so big and they seem so impossible. And it seems like if something were to actually work out, it would be impossible. It would be logically unacceptable. It would be senseless if it would happen. And God steps onto the scene and he says, I will do it the way that pleases me. I'm not here to please men. I'm not here to please you. But what I'm interested in is accomplishing my will. My will will happen. My will. Oh, that's what it is. Oh, this is a paradox that Jesus will move in whatever way that he, that he sees fit. Oh, the wind bloweth where it listeth. The spirit is going to move where it wants to move. It'll be a paradox. I had the opportunity, had the opportunity of of being in a conference in Washington and we began to sing we just learned to hear the song Exodus and we began to sing and we sang for over two hours pastor over two hours we began to sing and then we continued to sing continued to sing and it was because people were in the altars and, and people began to pray and, and their churches there was probably five or six churches that had a good group there and there were people from all over the place that were at this conference and God began to move and there were seven people that received the gift of the Holy Ghost God still works in miraculous ways oh he doesn't work by the confines of what we deem fit but I remember as we begin to sing 
And I watched as in amazement as they began to pray for this man. And, and he had a cane in his hand. And he's holding on to it, and they're praying for him. And pretty soon, they bring this man, and they lead him up the steps to the platform. And he holds in his hand the cane, and he begins to take steps, and he begins to walk. Because our God is still a miracle worker. God is still in the miracle working business. Oh, it may have been a long time that he had the cane, but God had purposed it. That it would be at that time that he's going to show his faithfulness. That he's going to work in the way that seems fit. Oh, God is still a miracle worker. If I could have the singers come. Just yesterday, telling some stories, I'm trying to bring some faith. We were had the opportunity to be with my grand, grandma and grandpa, and, and we were having lunch with them. And just a little over a month ago, they were hit by another car. They were going on the off-ramp. And they were slowing down. They were about 40 miles, going about 40 miles an hour. And there was a very confused individual that began to drive up the off-ramp. And they were also going about 40 miles an hour. And they hit head-on, a head-on collision. And as we sat across, I began to think, as they, would, as they told us, they said the last thoughts that went through their mind. They said, we were dead. I thought this was over. This is how I'm going to die. This is how life is going to end for me. But they woke up and there was no broken bones. There was no clot in the blood. There was nothing. There was some bruising, but that was just a little bit it. Because if we would have written the story, they would have been dead. They would have been buried in the ground by now. But my God is a miracle worker. And the God that you serve is a miracle worker. He can take the situations that seem so utterly hopeless and give you hope. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. September 11th, one last story before the singers sing. September 11th is a very important day for our country. It's a, a landmark. We all know it. And there's those that have, have lost their lives. And it's a bittersweet day for me, for our family, because it shares an anniversary with something else that happened very special. September 11th. September 11th is the half, halfway mark of when my mom wasn't dealing with the drugs that were in her system anymore. They told her that it would never be done. We just passed the six and a half year mark. They told us that it would never be done. And, and when she went, hold on, hold on. When she, when she went to the first doctor's appointment, oh, we serve a miracle working God. They told her, oh, it'll never happen. We had somebody try and do that before. Oh, in one of the first doctor, doctor's appointments, they told her, oh, well, we could just try. We could just try. If it doesn't work, we'll bring you back in and, 
and we'll try it again. And if it doesn't work, we'll just try it again. And, and we'll just keep trying. I don't know that it will ever happen. Oh, but we'll just try it again. But can I tell you, it was the first time. It was the first time, baby, that God stepped into that sinner and he healed her of it. She's not on it anymore and God has healed her of the pain and he has given her energy. Oh, he has given her everything that she needs. These altars are open. You serve a miracle working God. Or oh, whatever the case is, you can step into the altar and God can touch you. All it takes is a touch from the master. Oh, all it takes is one touch from him. Oh, he's a miracle working God, church. Whatever you need, Whatever you need, it is present in this altar because Jesus is present in this place. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, whatever the need is, whatever the situation is, oh, God, he wants to touch you. He wants to perform a miracle. He wants some more glory to his name. Oh, come on, church. God, I worship you. Oh, God, I recognize whose hand my situation is in. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Yeah. 